Welcome, everybody, to a new edition of the Mobile Forum podcast. We are, again, lucky to have an excellent panel of Mobile Forum veterans and experts uh, ready to discuss some of the most recent events and also have a brief look into the crystal ball of payments. And uh, I'm very happy to introduce this uh, excellent panel. But maybe just a few words about Mobile Forum before diving into to the panel and the panelists. Mobile Forum is, uh, is a bank-led organization that has been focusing on mobile and emerging payments for two decades. Mobile Forum has never been commercially driven, but always been driven by dedicated members with a keen focus on knowledge and also have been known for very open and in-depth discussions that, uh, that you find nowhere else in the payments industry. I know from personal experience that it has been a really educational journey to be part of Mobile Forum for many years now. But uh, let's uh, let's get started, and uh, I would like to introduce our panelists uh, today. We have uh, Sierpa Nordlund, who is a Senior Vice President for Industry Engagement in NETS. Sierpa, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you, Christian. I'm happy to be here. I've been at Mobe for quite a long time, more or less involved either via corporation or also uh, used to have an executive director role at Mobe. Um, right now, I'm uh, heading industry engagement in NETS, meaning that uh, it's a European role, ensuring that NETS visibility is bigger in the markets outside of Nordic countries. In addition, I'm country director for Finland and based in beautiful Helsinki. Mm-hmm. Happy to be here. Thank you, Sierpa. And a little further south, we have uh, Xavier Herrero from uh, from Caixa Bank in Barcelona. Welcome, Xavier. Can can you also share a bit about yourself and your role? Sure, Christian. I'm Xavier Herrero. I'm responsible for uh, representation of Caixa Bank at different payment forum, basically basically in Europe. I'm currently present at the ECB, uh, TBA Clearing, uh, TPC, and wherever. And uh, besides this, I belong to the area of operations, so we are all in charge of trying to define all the payment strategy in the future for for Cashabank. And uh, and lately we found that, unfortunately, coronavirus has been a problem, but I think that uh, good things will come from it and good ideas will also come from it. So we're just in that, uh, that travel which is going to be quite interesting, I think. Mm. Thank you, Xavier. And uh, last but certainly not least, and almost in the middle of, uh, of the two previous speakers, we have Beat Banwart from UBS in Zurich. Beat, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, with pleasure. And thanks, Christian. Um, also very honored to be part of that um, panel um, to discuss the, this exciting topic about payments. And um, briefly, on my person, I have been with UBS now for about seven years um, and previously with other international banks such as Citibank, Fortis, Serbian, Piparibas, um, primarily in, in the corporate space and the business development space. And currently UBS responsible for innovation solutions and partnerships, particularly also with a focus on platform business models in the, in the transformative change um, segment. Next to that, I'm also board member of WeTrade um, Innovation, um, EIC for UBS, and I'm member in the ECB Army Pay Advisory Group. 
Thank you, Beat. And uh, for for my side, my name is Christian Sorensen. I'm based in Copenhagen, Denmark, where I'm the co-founder of Norfico, a strategic advisory, working with the bank and technology providers in the weird and wonderful world of uh, of fintech. So I work with um, yeah a lot of different entities uh, across the value chain, and I've been with Mobay for many years now, representing different organizations. But let's dive into today's topic. Uh, there's no doubt that uh, COVID-19 and and the whole situation around that, as uh, as we also heard from the introductions, uh, has been impactful in the payments industry. But uh, maybe the whole COVID-19 impact is more of a catalyst of more underlying trends that has already been in the payments industry for some time. So, Siepa, working for one of Europe's largest payment companies, what do you see as the main payment trends? Maybe I'm not just talking about here and now, but uh, where are we heading over the next five years, maybe, if we can look that long? That's an interesting question, uh, Christian. Thank you for asking that. Payment trends are fairly quickly becoming mainstream digital trends in the entire society. For me, this seems that we are more and more going into touch-free payments, Hmm. meaning invisible payments, where payments are becoming something that happens with your permission, of course, but without your need to, for example, touch the payment terminal or do things that you are doing specifically now. The second trend for payments is processes going end-to-end, meaning that we have examples of this fully digitized end-to-end processes. We have a digital ID or digital KYC, or we have, for example, possibilities to do things end-to-end digital. No need to go to the branch, no need to fill in any kind of papers, not even fill in online formats in, in web Instead, the questions will become prompted to you. Is this correct? No. What should, and, and then very direct guidelines, what you should do. So more towards intuitive way of paying and also consuming. Mm-hmm. So Beat, uh, looking at some of these trends that Sierpa described, is, is that something where you see the role of a bank in the future? I mean, I mean, some of us has, publicly claimed that banks have overlooked payments in the past. How do you see the role of banks and payments or role of payments in banks in the future? Yeah, absolutely. And as a short preface to understand the role of payments in the future, I think we should briefly look at how they were treated in the past because a payment was previously sold as a distinct product to transfer funds from A to B. And that was it, basically. But going forward, um, a payment will be a service, and that will fulfill a defined user experience, but also at the same time as a source of insight into user behavior. Mm. And therefore, um, a payment will, in its extremes, either happen completely seamless and unnoticed in the background, or they're explicitly experienced for a desired purpose to the user. And for a bank, this means that payments will be crucial to understand their clients and to serve them in a simple and appreciative way. And as example, um, a bank is managing payment authorizations of a person's IoT devices, invisible in the background, such as a self-driving car, for example, 
which is paying parking fees or paying a shop bill when you walk out of the store. But at the same time, um, the bank would then also manage the expense administration or the warranty receipt administration as an add-on service. So therefore, as a consequence, it is crucial to have an omnichannel payment orchestration in the future, but this should only be interacting with the user when they really need um, that interaction. Um, otherwise, it should really be just running in the background. And I think that will be very crucial for a bank to retain those client touch points going forward. Hmm. And I will certainly pick up on the Internet of Things uh, and payments uh, later in the conversation. But but just bringing in Xavier uh, here, while you also work for a bank, you 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 also spend quite a lot of time in many organization uh, organizations across banks. How should the banking industry prepare for the future that uh, we hear CFA and, uh, and Beard describe? First of all, I have to say that I'm fully aligned with what Beard and Sirpa have previously tailed. But I could go beyond than this. I, I think that beyond payments, we must think what banks have to do for the society for, for now and, uh, and for the future. Uh, till now, we've seen, as, as it also was saying, we've seen all our products as these are products, but we have to think what we offer as services, but moreover, we have to think which is going to be the role that we banks are going to play in the organization of society. We're having tough times right now, some countries more than others, but I think it's a worldwide tendency right here. We're seeing that payment tendencies have changed, payment behaviors have changed. We've heard a lot about silver tech technology, people about age 50 and plus. We're changing the way we, uh, I'm sorry, I'm older than 50. We're changing the way we, we affect payments. We're talking about millennials, but do we only have to think about payments or do we have to think about another things? Because as Serpa said, payments are going to be invisible, are going to be seamless. But how do we serve society? I mean, on this crisis, we've seen that a lot of people saying it's the first time I bought at Amazon, maybe, just mm-hmm. to say one of these. In other countries or in other regions, it would be different. But what is the really mortar of the society? It's really those big companies, or do we have to serve better these little local merchants? Are they duly covered? So it's just a single question, but, mm-hmm. but I think that's to illustrate an, an overall tendencies, which is the role we're going to play also in payments to help these companies, if, if we think we have to, to help them. So I, I think it's just an interesting question. I would have to one mind attending to the recent developments. Hmm. So, so just a quick follow-up on that. So what you're saying is that the banks should be sort of the digital enablers, both for their private clients helping them overcome any digital hurdle they may have embracing e-commerce, but also their business clients and especially the SME clients help them sell their goods through the digital channels and accept digital payments? I think that we have to deeply thought about this. We thoroughly have to address this issue. We want to play just the role of providing a service or we want to help them more. I mean, for example, in this crisis, we're seeing uh, just, I'm going to repeat, Amazon. 
Amazon, they have a huge infrastructure. They, they probably won't need to help, obviously, our cooperation. But these local merchants, do we have to provide them with proper payment experiences or do we have to help also with the logistics of mm. what they deliver? Because I think that going to a little shop is not going to be as usual as it used to be, at least in Spain. Well, obviously, in, in different countries, there are different models, but obviously, we can not help them just by providing that. You can sell by providing this nice payment application. We have to go there, help them also with logistics, with, I don't know, assessment, with whatever. I think it's certainly a question we have to pose on us. Hmm. Maybe maybe the future would be the self-driving cars that was mentioned earlier. They would go around in the local shops and pick up the goods and, and, and distribute those. And, and speaking of, of self-driving cars and, of course, connected devices, Beard, you already brought up Internet of Things. Do you think that that, that is where we will see the most development in terms of alternative interfaces to payments or will it be other alternative interfaces like social networks, voice assistance? What will be the future interface of payments? Yeah, I think um, there's definitely no one size fits all model going forward um, because the world is more going into um, like tailorization or like even what, what you say is all well, the segment of, of one because technology actually enables us to do that in the future as well. So payments will in the future be um, initiated from many different means. We also believe that a lot will be working on, on a machine-to-machine basis in the future. So particularly when you talk about IoT, you can actually think about the container um, which is being loaded on a ship, which is paying itself the the customs fees, for example, or the transportation cost, um, also like kind of clearance at the destination, etc., etc., and the container ultimately belongs to a company which is organization, organizing the transport. But it is much more seamless. It's actually much more invisible in the background and much more self-organizing. Of course, you would have to set certain guidelines how much this container should pay because you wouldn't want this container to pay two million for for a short transportation distance, obviously. Um, but we think much more of those payments where it can automate, they will be automated and they go actually unnoticed in the background. The real value of that is in the end in the whole analytics and then the reporting mm-hmm. of it, what insight you generate and how we can control that. But like I said, the container is just one example. Of course, a person will interact completely differently and, and in a much more experiencing way. Yeah. And Sierpa, we, we heard and hear that uh, payments is, is no longer a, a product. And for, at least seen from a banking perspective, is it the same for you as a payments company? Is payment no longer a product? Is it what is it? Is it a service? Is it a process? What is it going forward? Oh, that's a good question. That's almost like a philosophical question. <laughs> it probably depends who you ask. If you uh, ask from uh, our product manager, it certainly is a product. But if you ask from, uh, let's say, CEO level or board level, it definitely starts to remind us more of an infrastructure level service. 
mm-hmm. which has several processes. Like Beat said about the container, I have used an example of self-driving car who has its own wallet and own budget and own uh, own kind of uh, data mastered plan when to pick up, whom to pick up, where to go, when to charge or supercharge, where to charge, when do you need maintenance, and every single point of these, every single interaction, point of interaction needs a payment. And Mm. that happens in the background, and that is completely streamlined into this Internet of Things. Of course, everything then organized and managed by the owner company. So whoever owns that self-driving car and gives it the budget and gives it kind of the algorithm how to go forward. Mm. And we human beings are coming a little bit delayed. We are still very irrational. We don't have algorithms in our heads which are scientifically proven to work. We are emotional. We are, we are kind of uh, a little bit here and there are non-organized sometimes. So we need somebody else to make those algorithms for us and then base those algorithms on our values. And now we come to a very interesting point. If we could choose the algorithms based on our personal values, that would be a fantastic way forward how we see payments developing. So payments enable consumption, which it does, of course, already now, but payments enable consumption based on values. Hmm. Think about that. Yeah, so if your personal values is to brag and show off, then you'll make sure that your car park in the most expensive place in the city to be seen all day. Yes. (laughs) That's a good example. And then you make sure that that you find the best deals on luxury brands, Mm -hmm. for example. But then again, on the other hand, if your personal values are towards um, saving the planet, whatever that means, then your choices and kind of advertisement, not only advertisements, but recommendations, what you should buy, how you should buy, where you should go, what you should consume are completely different than Mm. your friend who is into luxury brands would get. Yeah. But it actually gets me back to one of the points from earlier about the, the interface. So if I'm to see and get an overview of where and when has my car spent money? When when has my fridge spent money? When when has my kids spent money? Is that interface going forward? Is that something where I will go to my bank? Be it, will I go to my UBS interface to to have an overview of all of these? I think it, that truly depends um, on on the customer preferences and behaviors. I think in the future. There will be clients which prefer to have all their financial services within a UBS because they trust the brand, they trust um, the, the security, and also, I mean, in terms of cybersecurity of, of, of a trusted organization. And UBS would also have to provide those capabilities to interact, or I would actually rather say orchestrate um, those financial flows the client wants to handle, but it wouldn't 
just be the, the financial flows. We would rather see that in a broader ecosystem, like as mentioned by Sirpo before, the self-driving car, those rules or those guidelines for the self-driving car, um, they would be managed by the bank as well to, to handle that. But it should be as such that the client, either he trusts the bank for like a specific set of rules or he really wants to specify that um, very explicitly for himself. But he basically would want to have that all done in, in, in a very simple way, in, in a trusted way. But of course, there might be other customers which just prefer to handle their payments, for example, from, from a chat messenger because they want to pay their friends or like you can see it in, like with WeChat, for example, as well, you pay your goods in, in the WeChat universe. I think it will be a much more user preference based interaction in the future. And I think it is for payments, but also for, for banks or for financial services, very crucial in that world um, to be able to interact um, along a user journey to, to, to really provide an added value here in the end. Mm. But, but Xavier, some of the, uh, the work groups and, uh, and associations that, that you work in, uh, many of those work with standardization to allow for this kind of seamless integration across different services and solutions. But aren't they also this standardization paving the way for the, the tech giants to take all, take on all of the interfaces towards the consumers? Will the Googles and the Facebooks, the Apples of this world, will they just be the interface to everything, including financial services and payments going forward? Yeah, I think we're certainly doing part of their job, I would say, but they are also doing part of ours. In this, what I mean, it's competition's welcome because at the end of the day, what it really matters is what customers does. Mm-hmm. And what they're really going to use is what is more convenient to them and what they rely them. Obviously, now I think that we banks are certainly in a good position because I think that with all the mistakes we perhaps have done in the, in the past, they still rely on us. We have their customers there and, and we don't have to be a, to have fear about the role of big giants. Obviously they are important. They have a lot of money. They can invest a lot, but we also can. So competition's welcome. Mm-hmm. And because the goal is the same. They are looking for the most convenient experience for The consumers, I wouldn't say the customers, because they are our customers, they are their customers, they are customers of all. So, obviously, the best is going to win. Speaking of competition, within the banking space, we've seen a great number of uh, so-called challenger banks or or neobanks entering into the scene. And it seems like most of these have chosen payments as the main differentiating factor. Based on what you are saying, it sounds like payments will move to the background. It will be an integrated part of a much bigger picture. What would the role of a challenger bank be in such a, a scenario when they've chosen payments? Or am I completely wrong here? Beat, what are, what are your thoughts seen from a traditional bank? It's a very good point um, you're raising because the key factor of the value proposition was really to provide a, a cool and then it's an experience, but particularly also at an attractive price to the consumer. 
And as you can see, the incumbents, they also strive to narrow that gap. And as many payments will become invisible, this differentiation will need to involve to keep the competitive edge. So in other words, um, the value proposition will shift even more to the purpose and the source for user insight a payment is enabling. And that will definitely be a challenge as as, as here the, the value proposition or as here the services are converging to keep that edge. Hmm. And, and Xavier, you also represent a traditional bank in this, even though Kasha Bank, of course, also launched your own challenger bank, <laughs> but uh, with the Imagine Bank. But seen from a traditional bank perspective, uh, what are your thoughts on, on the challenger banks in the world of payments? I think that they really have a tough job to do. Obviously, as far as they are new, I would say, Obviously, they enjoy from an advantage we don't have. Obviously, we have our tradition and we look as traditional. So it's easier to look at them as challenger, as innovative, as the ones that treat, that better treat the customer. But once it is, obviously, their entry point is, I would say, easier. They still have a tough job to do because obviously, confidence is very easy to win. Promises are very nice. The expectations that real, uh, that new customers they join, they, they get, the expectations are very high, but obviously they have to fulfill with what they promise or what public thinks they promise. And obviously it's a tough job, but it's our job also to say, hey, we are here, we incumbent banks, we traditional banks are here and we also can deliver this. So it's not easy for them. Mm. Perhaps it is so at the beginning because they are perceived as new, as different, as everything is perfect now, you're going to enjoy from the best of the world. But they have to fulfill with those expectations. And dealing with those, with expectation of what people, public expects from you, it's not as easy as those. So I would say that this is the real challenge they face. It's fulfilling with expectations, which is not easy. Hmm. May I answer? <laughs> But of course. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would I would actually go with this challenger bank, incumbent bank payments area. I would go to this end-to-end digitization. So I think the challenger banks, the neo banks, are bringing in the new way of making end-to-end digitized services in the area of payments. I think just in recent weeks, there was a user uh, survey made on UK banks calculating the number of clicks they needed to do in order to open up an account. And for incumbent bank, the number of clicks were three or four or five times more than for the neo banks and challenger banks. I don't mention names here because I don't think it's polite with uh, with my friends in this podcast. But it was an incredibly big difference they have brought to the market. So what they are doing now is making the competition very much tougher by bringing these end-to-end digital, very few clicks, very intuitive and almost real-time services to the market.
That's a very good point. Thank you for for sharing that, Sierpa. And actually, like just, may, just, may I say something? Yeah, please, please. Sorry. Yes, I, I totally agree that there's a huge difference, and, and that enrollment may, might be easier. And obviously, I would wish if I join a bank, uh, an incumbent. I, I when I join a bank, I don't care if they are incumbent, they are new banks, they are new banks, or whatever. I really don't care about this. And obviously, I prefer to have an easy enrollment. <laughs> and and <laughs> yeah, so that, that that's it. But when I've already enrolled. What it matters to me is the, the service they offer me. And obviously, when I enter into a new relationship with a bank or a financial institution or an institution or some bank, somebody that is providing me with payment services, I'm going to ask them initially something. But as far as new, I know them deeper, maybe I'm going to ask for more. And this flexibility to be able to provide me with what I need it's maybe what it's going to define the situation of these new players in the market that's very true that's very true so incumbent bank have the portfolio of services on a completely different level than the neo banks have and I think uh, that's one of your biggest strengths of course while at the same time um We know that young people only need a very limited number of services. So young customers might end up choosing a neobank no matter what. Yes, but the people that's got the money are not the young ones. But even young people grow older. So uh, <laughs> at, at some point, maybe these challenger banks will grow up with their customers and uh, start offering mortgages and pensions and investments as required or requested by their key clientele. I don't know. I'm But, sure they will. Yeah. But new banks or older banks, uh, what ties banks together is uh, is the underlying infrastructure. And, and Sipa, you already brought up the infrastructure uh, question. I would like to maybe get back to you on that, because which roles and which technological trends do you see on the infrastructural side of things beyond the increased digitization that you already mentioned, real-time payments, instant payments, or real-time and instant anything seems to be one of the dominating things. Do you agree? And, and what other trends do we see on the infrastructural side? That's a very, very multi-sided question, Christian, again, and very much on the infrastructure unpredictability going forward. I see infrastructure changing slower than the actual usage of payments or mm. the setting up the omni-channel world ecosystem for payments. Infrastructure below will be much slower, which we have already now seen. Real-time, yes, is becoming the hyped word for everything, everywhere. And we have heard from leading players in the market, the rumor that they are planning to combine the different rails for payments. And with the different rails, I, of course, mean card rails, real-time payment rails, account-to-account rails, you name it. Those can be fully integrated and made inseparable in a way that there might be different rails depending on the need or purpose or even price structure for the payment. 
So that's my answer for the real time part. When it comes to other technologies that we are seeing taking over in the payments infrastructure part, we have heard a lot of talk about using blockchain, uh, using the smart contract based uh, structures for payments. And for this, we have several companies who are very successfully testing this in the market and making cross-border payments something completely new and new way of doing the payments in the background. Now within one banks or two banks or three banks, but maybe future in a bigger infrastructure model. So this is a very interesting phenomenon and development that will be exciting to see if it will become everyday lives Hmm. in in our upcoming infrastructure ecosystem. And Beard, again, from a banker perspective, is this the brave new worlds of payments or is it yet another revenue stream eroding as more advanced uh, solutions come to the market? How how do you see it from a bank perspective? Yeah, like Sirpa said in the beginning, we could actually debate probably hours or even days on this topic on infrastructure and payments and, and what is efficient. And maybe before we get into that, I think it, it is important for us to see like a small analogy. Why is the infrastructure for payments moving much slower than actually use case for payments? And Just take as an example the the railway system in Europe. There are different um, gauges. For example, when you want to go with the train from, let's say, from Switzerland to to Spain, um, if I'm not mistaken, you still have a different width. So you might have a super fast train going through France, but then if you come to Spain, you have to change either the train or you have to change the width of the rails, and that's very slowing down, while then in, in Spain you have a, a high-speed train as well. And this is exactly where the challenge is. You have a wide infrastructure, which has been built over years, which has certain standards, and you have, just take the train analogy, so many kilometers of train tracks and so many stations and, and wagons um, that it's very difficult to change them at the same time, like the user behavior is changing. So... Definitely, I think the world is going towards instant, but the big advantage, and since we're talking also about technology enablers, if you use um, blockchains or, or CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, that will be an enabler which, which would help to also get that instant experience on, on a cross-border level. And if you come back eventually to, to the revenue side, there have actually been many studies which are saying Payments are getting invisible. Payments are getting for free. Well, only the future can tell, but it's definitely for sure that transactional costs will go down in the future. But the perceived value for the client is probably not, as said in the beginning, not that money goes from A to B, but the perceived value is um, you can buy that product and they can walk out of the store right now and don't need to wait two minutes until it's being paid. And that is where the, where the value lies in, or also then really the value to manage all these IoT devices, for example, like the self-driving car in town. And this is in the end where the, the willingness to pay also is f- from a consumer. And this is, in my opinion, where the world will go to. And this is also where the players on the markets 
they they have to adjust to in order to to still be around and to basically monetize um, mm. their services. Mm. Xavier, in in some of the groups that you participate in uh, uh, across Europe, you are basically the ones trying to make sure that the the trains, to stay in the analogy, can can move easily across borders. Do you see that the driver for this needed harmonization in terms of digitization? Will those drivers be the banks themselves? Will it be the European politicians or will it be innovative fintechs or will it be the consumers, the tech giants? Who will drive this digitization and harmonization across Europe? Also an interesting question, Christian. First of all, I must uh, congratulate Bit because I like very much the analogy he's made about the trains. It's totally right. And, and I must say that what you thought it was real. The width, the width of the rail, rail tracks in Spain is a little narrower with this. Uh, once in this, Christian, I would say that if, if you were asking me this question some years ago, I would say that it, it clearly would have been the politicians, the commission or whatever in every country. But I think that now the market and also the the financial institutions like sales banking systems have realized that something's got to do with this. We are doing instant payments in a lot of countries and more every day or every month. But we really don't know what to do with them. And the real challenge we have been with this, we have some infrastructure going on, but they are not really prepared. They are really just prepared for routing payments, instant payments with this, but we banks we are not prepared for dealing with all the implications we have. And also they are not our companies, our customers, our private individuals or corporates or whatever. So now we think that it has right the time we realize that this move to real time has to be addressed. Obviously, I don't think the future is regulation because we have already realized that we have to do something, that the world's going real time We like it or not. I like it. I personally like it. But mm-hmm. but I think we, we have noticed and realized we have to do some do something more just to enable our infrastructures to root instant payments. We have to strengthen the, the services we provide to our customers. As an as a matter of example, on B2B, what is a real-time payment useful for our customers if they are not able to reconcile? I have received value, okay, it's, it's on in your account, but how do you realize I have to put value on this instant payment received? And I think that it has arrived at time, and obviously for all the groups I'm participating on, it has arrived the time that the change is going to be held by financial institutions. Mm. And also for TPPs, for non-financial payment service providers also, because... That's on their ADN. But but maybe zooming out a bit, I would like to ask you, maybe Sierpa, you would start looking at the current infrastructure and, and staying at the railroad analogy. We also heard from our friends at Consult Hyperion on a recent webinar where we discussed the digitization of the Nordics. There was also railway analogies made. And one of the conclusions there was uh, sometimes having the greatest rails end up slowing you down because you do a lot of innovation on top of the rails, but forget to innovate on the rails. So is it a case of the legacy infrastructure slowing us down or is the legacy infrastructure enabling us to innovate? What do you think, Sipa? 
First of all, my comment on the rails part and on where we are going, I think at the same time when we say that the costs per transactions are going down, at the same time the value for all the other services that are built on top of that is going up and simply because also a competition perspective. And now, Christian, to your exact question, I think this has a lot to do with how we innovate on top of our systems, what is legacy and what is not. We have seen some benefits from legacy systems as well. They are not all bad or negative. They are also the ones who are extremely stable and who which are very, very secure. So it's always a balance, what you value and what you actually pay for. You pay for stability and security, which then enable better innovation on top of something that is maybe seen incumbent and been there for ages. So it's a it's an interesting question and that remains to be seen once we see all these fragmented payment methods with different types of levels of services, we could say service levels included in them what will be valued and what will be actually something that uh, mm. people or companies are ready to pay for. Yeah. Being in, in a house literally here in the Copenhagen FinTech lab, surrounded by FinTechs, it's not rare that I hear that uh, banks are basically legacy systems run by legacy people in legacy buildings. So, do you think that the innovation can come from the banks? Beard, what, what do you do to handle innovation in a legacy world? Yeah, I think if you would have here the right answer, we would have the crystal ball in our hands. Um, yeah, very good question. And I think also there is many different approaches how you can do that. But yeah, I agree with you. Legacy infrastructure um, is clearly slowing down change. Um, it's also pretty obvious if you start on a greenfield, um, it's always easier to build something new and lean than when you already have an existing house and, and you want to renovate that. But in order to come back to your question, I think it's again here, it's the interplay of the different parties and it's, it's the ecosystem. And I think we can all benefit from partnering and cooperating with each other. Because also I think the times where a bank had to build everything by itself, I think they, they are over as well. So the I think the art here is to combine things in a way that you can quite quickly launch them, you can iterate them, and you can also improve them, and you can take external partners with whom you, you can get the great solution out there. So in short, I think you need internal people, but you would need people internally which are not kind of bound back by restrictions or by legacy, and you need to have them working together also with external parties, which bring on a different view and which bring on also other aspects into the equation. Because I, I, I strongly believe that only in the way when you do ideation, you do brainstorming and you look at the different angles, you will come up with with a really great new solution. And for that, you need, you need everyone together. Mm. 
even though you already made the disclaimer, Beard, of not having a crystal ball, I would actually like to ask you all about the future of payments. And, and I mean, uh, one of my all-time favorite quotes, and it keeps popping up in many PowerPoints, including mine, is that the good old William Gibson quote about the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Sierpa, how much of the future is here and what do we have ahead of us? What would be your crystal ball gazing here? Many of the future features that we are here talking or dreaming or, or fearing about are actually already here. If we look around and see what is going on outside of Nordics, outside of Europe, we have everything there already. Whether they are in formats that we like, whether they are in formats that we would love to use, I don't know but they are here. What then will conquer the market? What will be the killer app? Like we used to use that word um, some 10 years ago when apps started to come over 15. That remains to be seen and will very much depend on the habits and the beliefs of certain group of people, certain nation, certain country uh, or certain area. So I believe one common factor that will become even greater going forward is payment fragmentation. We will have different forms of payments, different forms of being paid, getting paid, making online purchases, online payments in a way that our Like our messaging system is nowadays, we have so many channels that we don't actually know which one to use, how to reach the person the best. This, when it comes to payments, this dilemma will become even bigger, while at the same time providing more convenience, real-time, faster, and hopefully also security and stability. Hmm. And Xavier, looking at the Barcelona edition of the crystal ball for payments, what what do you see? It's quite difficult for me to say, but but I I would say that the future of payments is no longer going to be if they're in some not. Obviously, they are going to be in some, but it's going to be important once the infrastructures are balanced and are stable. As Silpa said, which I think is very important, we have to put this value on the table. Obviously, we financial institutions have been responsible for delivering stable payment systems, which is the way, because you can offer whatever you want to the consumers, to the corporates or whatever. But if the infrastructures don't go well, maybe based on legacy systems run by legacy people, And I don't think even the future is going to be in legacy buildings, but nothing matters if they are not properly delivered. Once said this, I'm fully convinced that they are going to be worldwide multi-currency in real time in no more than five, ten years. Swift is working on this. It's the aim, the goal of a new payment service providers or whatever. But I think that Once they are become real time, what's going to be important is how we serve it to the customers. 
And I really cannot imagine by now because obviously I can think about an idea now in five months, six months, one year, two years, it's going to be completely different how they're going to be initiated. I think that the kids going, it's going to pass from the execution to the initiation and the initiation, how it's going to be in the future. I don't know. Maybe by telepathy. I, I don't know. I'm saying telepathy because it's the most strange thing I can imagine. But I think it's going to be the key. How we initiate payments mm-hmm. with a chip in our heads? I don't know. But they're not going to be faster than one second to sessions. And I think it really matters. Do we care if it's done in 15 or 60 milliseconds? It makes a difference if it's within 80 milliseconds. I don't think so. I think that the key is not this. Once achieved, the real-time worldwide multi-currency payment system. Mm. And Beat, from your perspective, having the responsibility for innovation, I assume that your bank will look to you to steer the bank into this future. What is this future that you see and how do you prepare for that? Well, first of all, it's definitely important to keep an open eye and to listen of course, to the, to the customers or how they're changing, what they what they dislike or, or how they basically envision their services or, or how they would basically experience their services in the future. That's number one. I think second point is we also need to be aware of how technology is advancing, what it is enabling, because that also can be um, an idea trigger for how you can do something new or how you can do something existing um, completely new. And we have seen a few examples outside of the financial services industry as well, which turned upside down some markets um, completely. And of course, there are all the super creative folks out there in fintechs or in startups, which actually have, have great ideas. And as touched upon before, they're definitely moving faster than a larger organization. And it would be quite vital to combine that. But kind of coming back to it, I think the market is really going really more to to ecosystems, to, let's say, orchestrations um, of services across the completely different or completely different parties. And I think the the big challenge or what else the big value lies in there, how we can just combine that and, and how can we make it very simple and very convenient to the end user, because a little bit similar, like 10 or 20 years ago, you could still put the manual into a person's hand and they actually read it before using something. Today, a manual, when have you actually read the last time a manual for something? If you don't understand it after a few seconds, you think it's not a good solution. So this is the way how things have really changed. And I think this this has to be the, the key factor to look at and yeah, as I think it has been said before as well, the future is open, but we need to keep that openness as well. And I think we also have to be able to embrace what is change and, and what is create new features and, and we have to we have to take them into account. Yeah. Many of you have mentioned uh, the users and the customer focus and customer centricity. And while that has been preached as something to, to do for a long, long time, is it something that is actually happening now? Is it the customers that actually have a say in the solutions and not just the banks and the bank associations and organizations that you sit in, Xavier? <laughs> Do you really listen to to the consumers here? 
It's a tricky question. I'd like to think we really, we really listen to the customers. Sorry. I honestly think we really think on the customers. We listen to them. We try to understand their needs, but I'm not sure that we properly understand them. And then I'm not sure if we are ready or some organizations are ready to think out of the box. I think sometimes I say, I think that our approach is we understand their needs. We have this technology and with the technology we currently know it's, it's proven. We know it works. We design what we think it fits most their customer needs, but perhaps we are not still ready to duly or totally fulfill their needs. I could say that's the answer. Yeah. CFA, as an infrastructure provider, you are even one step further removed from the end customers. How do you ensure customer centricity in uh, in your work? We are very, very closely following the trends and things that are happening at the consumer level. So despite of us being business to business company and and uh, not selling directly to consumers, not being a brand ourselves, in order for us to survive, being close to consumers is an absolute must. That's why we have invested a lot, for example, in the UX team, which is our channel towards measuring the temperature in consumers. What is it that affects the, for example, user experience part of payments, which then will be brought all the way into the services we provide to our customers who are corporates or banks or merchants themselves, because people using our services in those banks or merchants are, of course, also consumers as themselves, and they expect certain level of user experience. So the only way to keep up is to be very, very close where the world is going and what are the expectations of the convenience factor. Thank you, Siapa. And as we are running out of time, and I have thousands of questions that I would like to discuss with you, but I think we would need to finish this interesting conversation. But I would like to finish it by asking each of you how your takeaways from discussions like this and how you prepare yourself and your company for the future ahead? And of course, that's a big question, but uh, if you can boil it down to a, a short response, that would be much appreciated. So starting with you, Beat, how how do you prepare for this future that you have ahead of you? Yeah, I think if we kind of take it back to the initial topic of the payments, and if we kind of keep the focus on, on that segment, because of course, otherwise we we could actually extend that discussion even until the, the opera to carry on. I think when looking at the payment, this is the most frequent and most important interaction a user has with a financial service. And also when looking at the value which will come around payments, payment carries a lot of value with it in terms of the information it can reveal on, on a person's habits and can also improve really their, let's say, habits or their spending pattern, it is thus crucial for a bank um, that payments, how we want to offer them in the future, that they will be linked with a positive user experience um, rather than being perceived as a nuisance, 
which actually still often is, and that they're really purpose-driven, that they're instant, smooth, and seamless. And I think then we can really approach the consumers also from that side and basically really keep them in the payments world and also provide all the, the goodies which you can actually do around the payment as well. Mm-hmm. But that is definitely cooperation between the different parties. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And and Xavier, what are your main takeaways from, from this discussion and how do you prepare yourself in your organization for the future of payments? I would think that we have to go to back to the origin, what we are. We are an organization that aims to provide with financial services, and I duplicate the word services, to the society. So we have to rethink again, also take into consideration, one, development of technology, and two, current situation, how we can better feed the services for our customers. And we do so because our services are providing with payments and putting money into circulation. I think we have to go back to the origin. How can we better serve the society doing what we were born to do? Yeah, thank you. And Sierpa, your main takeaways and, uh, and future plans for uh, for the wonderful world of payments? For the wonderful world of payments, what a fantastic ending phrase for this. It really is a wonderful world of payments, and I cannot but accompany what Beat and Xavier said. Back to basics, back to where we are really good at and making those even better. So we are very good at creating the stable and secure chain of payment services for banks, for merchants, for corporates, and eventually for consumers. These payments create a lot of value, and these values create, hopefully, even more payments. And having payments as the final word seems to be a nice wrap-up of this brilliant session. I hope all of you have enjoyed it as much as we have. It has hopefully shown you how a mobile forum discussion can play out. Mobile forum, as mentioned in the beginning, is known for its very open, very honest, very direct dialogues. And uh, as a mobile member, this is what you get. This is what we do. That said, we will continue the open approach of mobile forum and, and do more podcasts in in the future. And if you have any question that you would like to see addressed in a future podcast, please send it via email to mobileforum at mobileforum.org and we will pick up the good questions for future podcasts. We hope you have enjoyed it. I thank you very much, uh, dear panelists. Thank you, Beat. Thank you, Xavier. And thank you, Sierpa, for your excellent contributions. It has been a real pleasure discussing with you all. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christine, for hosting us. <laughs> Thank you all. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye.